0: Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finn. We've got a really good show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we're going to have be speaking with d with the uh community organizer the community development person from the d s o her name is claire valenti they're doing all kinds of stuff in the community and you'll want to be listening to this stuff to d s o is a jewel That's for those who are uninitiated d s o detroit symphony orchestra they've got all kinds of wonderful stuff uh, amazing. Uh, It's Like I say, I can't talk enough about the the DSO. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk, hopefully, about the portion of Pinchas, which is from the book of Numbers 25 and furthering. And I'm saying, hopefully, because this week we begin the three weeks, which is why we're playing a cappella music. Yes, we know your favorites. So we'll have a cappella music throughout the show. A wonderful story at the end. But before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. (laughs) President Joe Biden and newly appointed Israeli Prime Minister Lapid met in Jerusalem this week and signed a pledge to prevent Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. The, this is what they're calling it. It's like they couldn't find a longer name. But the Jerusalem U.S. Israel Strategic Partnership Joint Declaration, that's its name, states that America will use all elements of its national power to ensure that outcome that Iran does not have nuclear capabilities. In the wake of President Biden's visit to Israel and Saudi Arabia, the Saudis will now allow flights in and out of Ben-Gurion to fly directly over Saudi airspace. Biden calls this an important step towards building a more integrated and stable Middle East region. Two people were arrested in Istanbul for desecrating a Jewish cemetery. They should, they'll should, get what they deserve, I hope. Synagogues and Jewish institutions were closed in San Antonio for Shabbos following a warning from the FBI that there was a credible threat of an attack. There was no attack, and life is back to normal in San Antonio. Israel is experiencing double-digit inflation. The price of bread rose from three shekels to four shekels in one week. That's basically a third. The increase is due in part to flour shortages caused by the war in Ukraine. And finally this wouldn't I would not think this was news, but I just it hit my fancy when I was preparing the news so it 's just like the uh, the irony of it a motorcyclist remains in hospital in stable condition in northern Israel after he ran into a pig. The pig didn't make it, and that 's the news. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have on the line Ms. Claire Valenti, who's involved with community engagement for the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, heretofore referred to as the DSO. How are you today, Claire? Hi, Herschel. Thank you
1: so much
0: for having me. I'm doing great. It is uh, indeed a pleasure and honor. So let me tell you, we moved to Detroit. In 1988. I will not ask you how old you were in 1988. I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> so we, we, my wife and I are, are uh, classical music uh, aficionados. I was introduced to classical music in first grade when I went to go see Leonard Bernstein conduct Peter and the Wolf narrated by Paul Tripp. It was absolutely mind-blowing. And since then, it was like we went from there to Tubby to Tubin and on to everything. But anyway, so we came to Detroit, and uh, we heard that there's something called the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, So, which was really cool. We got tickets. And we noticed one, two things at first. Noticed The first time I sat down on the chair, it broke. And the second thing is I noticed that we were the only people in the audience that did not have gray hair. And I said, wow, this is like this is, this is, they're going to have to do something about it. So my question then is, so since 1988, if you're up on it, what has the DSO done to ensure that there's not just gray-haired people in the audience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I have to tell you that I have a huge smile on my face. um, And I often smile when I hear those stories of, folks who have, um, you know, been introduced to classical music at such a young age. Um, I myself am a a native Michigander, grew up in Royal Oak, Michigan, and um, I've always considered the DSO to be my home orchestra. Um, So, you know, one of my personal goals, certainly, as I approach this work uh, that I do for the DSO is really to um, make it accessible to uh, everyone from kids all the way up to the, you know, the folks with gray hair as you uh, described before. But, um, you know, a lot of what we have tried to do maybe since then, since the, the late 80s um, and, you know, certainly up through now, is really examine and take a look at uh, what we are presenting in the community and make sure that we are including a diverse um Multitude of of different voices through composers and artists that we see um, on our stage. So um, I I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I know we'll we'll talk a little bit about some upcoming programs, but um, that is sort of the the ethos and the mission of what we are uh, looking forward to next week on Monday and Tuesday as we present a program of all Jewish composers um, over in Genesis of Ann Arbor and at Beacon Park.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that and the whole who, what, why, when of there and how of that. So I'm going to back up even further than that. So sometime in the early 90s, after some, people, they realized that a lot of the seats were no longer able to be sit and sat upon because they had broken under the weight of such uh, people with girth like mine. Uh, they refurbished the the DSO, the orchestra hall, and expanded it. And they one of the things they put on was the cube, which is a very interesting concept. First explain the cube and then I got a couple of questions about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the cube is our um, wonderful black box theater space where we are um, able to present a wide variety of different events, uh, concerts, certainly um, also dance classes, yoga classes, um, you know, really anything you can imagine. Uh, we have probably done it in that space. Um, so, CUBE is actually, obviously the, uh, the room itself is a CUBE, it is a uh, square room, um, but CUBE actually has an additional meaning, and it uh, stands for Curated Urban Boundless Experiences. Okay. Um, so it's really a space where we're hoping to innovate and really push the envelope in uh, programming that we offer there.
0: Okay, now you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm thinking that as what the the community development people are thinking is if you have stuff that's like really way cool and far out, what you really want to do is be getting people into orchestra hall into like the main, uh, concerts that are offered throughout the year Would that. Is that a correct assessment?
1: So, you know, it kind of all flows to, um, to different things. I think, um, you know, all of us would over here at the, the DSO would say that really any entry point you have into our, our programmatic offerings, whether that's you're maybe a diehard Cube fan, you only go to, you know, your neighborhood venue in Southfield, for example, or you are someone who is, um, you know, sitting in a seat in Orchestra Hall. Uh, those are all great touch points. And really, we do want our audiences to be aware of everything that we're offering uh, throughout that whole spectrum. So let's say you are an orchestra hall patron, you're definitely welcome in the cube to explore some of those things and vice versa. There's a lot of uh, sort of, uh, I'd say, cross-pollination, for lack of a better uh, term, between all of the spaces that we we exist in.
0: Okay, so when answering to higher-ups, are the higher-ups happy when they say, well, we have this many people who come to yoga, and that's all they do, they would be going to yoga someplace else. If, there was, if the DSO wasn't open offering yoga, they'd find some other yoga studio to do it in. And the only reason they're coming into the, this building is for the yoga. But they're not coming into see the concerts or any of the performances or anything like that. Are your higher-ups happy with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I really think that um, any touch points that we can have with the community, um, you know, fully realizing that uh, – you know, classical music might not be the experience that, that every person is, is looking for, um, but we certainly want all of our audiences to be aware of everything that we offer and that we are a welcoming um, and affirming space for all. Uh, so, you know, maybe you go to a couple yoga events and that's enough to convince you to try out something at Orchestra Hall um it just might take a few times for someone to realize that that's something that they might be interested
0: in. Uh, okay, you just answered my question <laughs> by saying no, you said yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> okay, now, so the there there are parallel programs going on at the DSO. There's the regular, when we think of the, the symphony orchestra, so we sort of like stiffen our lip and uh, we, we put on a white shirt and we attend all those concerts by Brahms and Beethoven and Tchaikovsky and Mahler, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're very, very proud of those. But then you have like, I I, I was reading about the history of the DSO, the, the Paradise Jazz uh, series is... It's a it's a parallel thing. Tell us about the history of that. And why is there the para, the Paradise Jazz Series?
1: Oh yes. Well, um, <laughs> I have to be honest that uh, there there are definitely colleagues at the DSO who would be able to speak better to that specific series. Um, you know, Goody Weish is our uh, one of our members of our artistic department and is really at the helm of all of those uh, of that product line. Um, that is our paradise jazz series, but, you know, really from what I can speak to, um, you know, we, we had orchestra hall, which was, um, finished, uh, construction in 1919. Um, it functioned as the home of the Detroit symphony orchestra for a few years. And then, uh, the DSO had left that building. Um, so one of the things that had, uh, sort of emerged in that space, um, you know, if you've, you've been in Detroit for a long time or um, the metro area, you've probably heard a lot about this, um, you know, vibrant uh, theater that had, you know, changed hands a few times and then began to fall into disrepair. And then there's this beautiful story of it, um, you know, coming back to life and then the DSO coming back to it. But one of those, um, one of those groups that had uh, run the theater for a time uh, was actually a jazz club. So our our paradise, um, and I'll I'll add that you know there this uh, at that time um, the Paradise Jazz Theater had um, been hosting amazing um, you know world renowned jazz acts um, on, on that stage. So it's by no means a small uh, portion of that building's history. Um, so. You know our Paradise Jazz Series that we have now, and I, I believe we've had for close to uh, 30 years, um, really harkens back to that wonderful piece of our building's history. Um, by now, uh, showing off the talent of some of today's uh, most amazing uh, jazz talents as well.
0: Okay. Our guest today is Claire Valenti. She's with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, and we're talking about many of the wonderful things that the Detroit Symphony Orchestra does, including an upcoming performance this week, which features Jewish musicians, which we will get to. Uh, The whole idea of, of going outside of the building which to me seemed revolutionary with the the neighborhood concert series who who, who I don't know who's whose ideas because you're telling me a name I won't know who that person is but what what was the the uh the background the impetus thinking you know you know what instead of just playing at downtown in Detroit why don't why don't we play at the uh at the Berman Theater or Shari Zedek or or the uh in in Ma- the Macomb Performing Center what what was what was behind all that
1: yeah, so um, our Neighborhood Concert Series really is a special um, and unique program that we offer uh, at the DSO. And I would say that, um, you know, while while it feels revolutionary in some regards, uh, this has been part of our, our identity as a performing arts organization for many years at this point. So it feels natural that we're, we're doing sort of this um this, uh packing up the entire orchestra and taking it on the road to all of these wonderful venues in our community. Um, so, you know, it, was, it sort of started at a very interesting time in our own organization's history. Um, we uh, had a strike with our musicians, and, um, you know, that was a, a horrible period of time. It was really um, awful. Uh, for everyone to get through but that did offer this opportunity um for us to reimagine what it means to be an orchestra in in the city of detroit and in our metro region um, so that is where this idea of our neighborhood concert series sprang out of was um you know where can we be how can we be closer to maybe some of the patrons who used to come to orchestra hall but maybe are you know haven't for a while because, because of the, the strike. And how do we get them back? How do we get them to uh, DSO concerts without saying, well, you only can come to orchestra hall to hear us. So, uh, you know, the William Davidson foundation has been an amazing partner. They are our um, sole sponsor of that series. Um, and they, they really believed in uh, us to put together something that brings the um Really, the exact same experience that you would have at Orchestra Hall, high caliber artists, um, fantastic music, all of that same experience to, uh, to a venue near our patrons. Um, so, yeah, that, that's essentially how that all came about. And it's, it's hard to believe that we've been doing it as long as we have, um, but we're, we're happy to keep doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you seeing those neighborhood concerts acting as like a funnel for the main performances at uh, downtown? Claire?
1: Yeah, certainly. You know, that it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, where uh, we really want everyone to be aware of the full uh, breadth of uh, programming that we offer at the DSO. Um, so if you're a neighborhood subscriber, you're always welcome to come to a concert at orchestra hall and vice versa. And uh, we have had some concentrated efforts to really encourage people
0: to do so okay now um one question before we get into the what we're really supposed to be talking about today or whatever, what we're highlighting this is talking about the educational arm of the dso community in outreach and getting people involved through education tell us about what is the jewish what is the uh, the detroit symphony orchestra doing with educating people absolutely so uh
1: we have quite a few things going on um, Probably one of our most well-known initiatives is our Civic Youth Ensembles, which has, uh, we actually just celebrated our 50th anniversary of the very first uh, Detroit Youth Symphony Orchestra concert. Congratulations. So, um, thank you, thank you. Um, So what was, um, you know, what's really wonderful about uh, the Civic Youth Ensembles program uh, in the Wu Family Academy um, is that it's really uh, aiming to educate musicians of all ages from as young as one year of playing experience to some of our students who are now going on to uh, conservatory to study their instrument in, in college. So uh, not only is it a classical music training program, we have uh, jazz studies as well, um, again, sort of connecting back to our, uh, our um history with the paradise jazz series as well um, and then i would also like to mention too um, we uh so community engagement is actually in a joined department with our uh our colleagues over in the education department so uh, we work a lot together. It's it's work that, you know, has to be sort of woven together as a tapestry. So we're all on the same page. And um, another sort of uh, new and emerging program that we're offering is called uh, our Detroit Harmony Initiative, um, which aims to connect students in the city of Detroit. Um, anyone who wants to learn how to play an instrument uh, will get them an instrument. Uh, Will connect them with teachers and instructions, um, instructors rather, in their neighborhood, um, to really sort of fill the gap between, um, you know, what's offered in, in school and what students are able to um, to do outside of school. So, um, you know, there's all of those things. Of course, there's also our um, young people's concert series our Tiny Tough Concert Series, which happened four times throughout the season on Saturdays. Um, So there's sort of the hands-on music education approach, and then there's also uh, concert series um, that uh, folks can attend. Um, Oh, gosh, and I I would uh, be remiss if I did not mention our, our educational concert series, ECS, which is specifically geared... Um, toward uh, students and um, actually comes with a curriculum guide so teachers can integrate that program into their instruction in the classroom.
0: Okay, that's amazing. And you got that all in one breath. That's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Our guest today is Claire Valenti. We're talking about the DSO. Okay, so all those things we talked about and getting people in the door, those things all cost. But now there's this thing about concerts in parks and we don't have to pay for them and we could just like sit down and and enjoy classical music and say like beacon park and other such venues tell us about that claire
1: yes absolutely so um i know that of, of course over the past few years we've probably all been itching to get our outside of our homes and out into the community to watch a concert so i'm very pleased to um announce that we I've been working with uh, the DTE Energy Foundation, who's been a fantastic partner of ours for nearly, uh, oh gosh, if I put a year number or a number of years on it, I'm sure I'd be wrong. Um, But we've actually been offering these free community concerts um, in partnership with the DTE Energy Foundation for about 10 years. Um, and, uh, normally for those who, who might already be familiar with this series, we would pack up the entire orchestra on the road, uh, for, for a completely free, um, community concert in, um, Detroit, and then also the surrounding metro areas at a a variety of different venues, um, this year, just with coming off of the pandemic and scheduling and all, all sorts of factors, um. We are offering these uh, as performances by smaller chamber groups of, of DSO musicians. Um, so we have coming up this Monday, July 18th at 7 p.m. at Genesis of Ann Arbor, and then Tuesday, July 19th at 7 p.m. at Beacon Park, uh, a completely free program, um, free to attend, uh, of all Jewish composers. Uh, which is a program that's actually been curated completely by the uh, musicians who will be featured on it.
0: Okay, could you give us the rundown? Because on the top of my head, the only Jewish composer that I know of and I'm familiar with is somebody named Mendelssohn, and by the, if you would have asked him, he would say, I'm not Jewish, but his his mother was.
1: Right, right. So, um some of the composers and, and another sort of level to this too, is that um, we're actually touching on some more. It, it's, it's certainly a program that um, covers, uh, you know, composers that we're all familiar with, like uh, Franz Joseph Haydn, who was, you know, operating back in the 1700s, all the way to, um, you know, some more modern composers. So featuring the works of Ingolf Dahl, Hans Dahl, uh, Johann Baptist Van Hall, and then, as I mentioned, Franz Joseph Hayden. Um, so we, and then also our, our musician roster, um, we have Lori Landers-Goldman, who is a violinist with the DSO. She's been a member since 1991. Um, and this was really, this program was her entire concept. She came up with this on her own as, as something that, um, you know, with these composers that she really wanted to um, have them be featured because they aren't featured very often. Um, And then she'll be joined by David Ledoux, who is a DSO cellist and a member since 2012. And then Jack Walters, clarinetist of the DSO, who's been a member since 2017.
0: Oh, wonderful. That sounds absolutely amazing. And that's at Beacon Park. And for people who don't know where Beacon Park is, we're talking Beacon Park in Detroit, not Beacon Park in San Francisco. So you'll Google it and see where it is. It's right downtown. Okay. That's going to do it. That's going to do it. We, uh, Our guest today has been Claire Valenti, and we've been talking about community engagement with the DSO and the, the greater Detroit community. I want to thank you so much, Claire, for coming on and sharing your knowledge. You've been very, very insightful. And we hope to have you back on again when there's more, more things to talk about.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's been great talking with you. Okay, Take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The lower peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan kosher supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for Kosher, and S-U-P for Supervisors, com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K-Products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Eschel You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Speaking of music, we've got some music for you. The artist here is Yitzhak Eschel. He's a young up-and-coming Israeli performer. The song is called Rock Eilecha, Only to You, with a capital Y. <laughs>
2: I'm not going
0: Okay, and that was Yitzhak Eshel. Coming up next, this is Achali, my brother, and this is, the artist is Shuki Solomon.
2: Shuki Solomon La nefes gam koe, sentence. I'll tell you what I'm saying. I'll tell you Tá pocheł, la mu mi la la I'm going I'm shu kol if I'm going to be able to get my life. I'm not
0: We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community. And Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Hey, Schultzman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. We have time for one more song. The artist is Ben Mare Dror, and this song is called A Toast to Life. (tries)
2: There's some love in your Just to les forever. I That He is the His
0: Hershel Finkman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. The Sunday, July seventeenth, depending on when you're listening to this, as to if it's like the upcoming Sunday or the previous Sunday, whatever, marks the beginning of the three weeks. Actually, the seventeenth of Tammuz, which is the beginning of the three weeks, is Shabbos. And on Saturday, we don't fast. We have this thing called Shabbos is given for pleasure. And between among most people, I would say vast majority of most people, fasting is not a pleasure. So we don't fast. It gets pushed off. So this is called Shiva Basar Betama's which means the 17th day of Tamuz pushed off. The 17th day of Tammuz commemorates... The Jews worshiping the golden calf and the smashing of the first tablets, that's pretty serious right there. It is also the first time, oh, it during uh, the times of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, destruction of the first temple times. So this is when Nebuchadnezzar was able to break through the walls of Jerusalem if he had been laying siege to for a number of years. It is also the day in which the last is the last day that a sacrifice was offered on in the, on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. It is the first time that a Torah was burned. Up until that time, the Romans believe it or not. I think it was uh, uh, Trajan or Turnus Rufus. One not up on my history so much with the names, but some really malicious, evil Roman decided that he's going to burn a Torah. It's the first time that happened. So it is celebrated or commemorated by oh, three weeks, which culminates with Tishabov, which this year will be a Tishabov B'Av Nidcha, since Tishabov also falls out on a Saturday on Shabbos. We will push off the fast until Sunday, and that's in three weeks. That's on the 6th at night, starting until till the 7th at night of August and during this time, uh, Jews refrain from listening to uh, instrumental music, which is why we're having uh, capella stuff. We also uh, don't, we cut our, we don't, do not cut our hair. We do not uh, decorate our houses, being like interior decorating, anything which is not necessary. If you have a hole in your roof, yes, you need to go fix it. But to paint the walls of your house, it could wait a couple of weeks because that's just to make the house look nice. So we're not doing things like look nice. There are those people who do not buy new clothes during this time because it's such a uh, a happy time when you have new clothes. There are people that don't eat a fruit that they haven't eaten. If you haven't had, say, like a dragon fruit yet this year, well, you're going to have to wait until after Tisha above, according to Jewish law, if you're Jewish. So we refrain from doing that. And... uh, The Rebbe said, very interesting thing about this whole business. And I'll probably repeat this in three weeks. The fast day on Sunday is referred to as a 17th of Thomas Nidcha, a day which was pushed away. Now there's a discussion in the Talmud of what happens if the ninth day of Av falls on a Saturday. So, There's no argument. You're not allowed to fast on Saturday. So they say, the sages say, yidcha. You should push it away, which means push it off until Sunday. There was a rabbi. Whose name was Rebbe Yehuda? He was a pretty impressive fellow. He was a leader of the Jewish people, and in most instances, the law, Jewish law is not like him because he is a singular individual. And Jewish law works that if you have a mass of people saying one thing and an individual saying one, another thing, we follow the massive individ, the massive in the massive group. So he said, "Kivin Shememene nidach yidach." Since you have pushed it away, push it away. Don't fast that year on Tisha B'av. It's not, it's Tisha B'av, the holiday. When did all this stuff happen? It happened on the ninth day of Av. So you're not fasting the ninth day of Av. So God made it that way. God could have made the calendar such that the ninth day of Av never falls out on a Saturday. Like, for example, Purim never falls out on a Saturday. So if Purim can never fall out on a Saturday, we could make it that Tisha B'av never falls out on, on a Saturday. But since the Almighty saw that we should not be fasting this year on Tisha B'av, so push it off. The Rebbe took it one, no, the Rebbe took it one step further. Says It says, Since it's been pushed away, take it away entirely. We shouldn't be having Tisha B'Av anymore. and indeed, the Rambam, Maimonides, Moses Maimonides, famous Torah scholar of the 13th century, declared in his magnum opus that the days of, such as the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av, when Mashiach comes, will not commemorate destruction because the third temple will be rebuilt. What do we have to do? We have to commemorate something that happened in the past and it's destroyed. It's been corrected. It's been redone. Those days, especially Yom K- uh, Tisha B'av, will be tremendous holidays as how g- great and how awesome the morning is now, M-O-U-R-N, and how we feel the loss of not being in our place, not being in Jerusalem and not having a temple and not offering sacrifices and not being able to commune with God that the way that we did all those centuries when Jews did have a temple. So on Tisha it'll be that great of a holiday. And we can only wish that it happens right now. Now, the three weeks are connected with, three portions, Pinchas, which is read this week, Matas Masai, which was a double portion, which is read next week, and we'll talk about that, and Devarim, the beginning of the book of Numbers, uh, of Deuteronomy, which is the following week. And it is mandated such that the portion of Devarim, the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, be read the Shabbos before Tisha In this instance, we will be reading it on Tisha B'Av. Being that this is the case, so there has to be a connection between the portion of Pinchas and the portion of, and the three weeks. So I'm going to take that one step further is, is that every part of it has to relate to the three weeks. I'm not going to go through the whole portion. We don't have time for that. But there is one story which exemplifies this. One, one of the things happens is is that portions of the land are meted out by lottery and they, everybody gets a piece of the action and And there's a a guy by the name of Slavchad who uh, was reported to have been the guy who uh, collected wood on Shabbos, the second Shabbos that they were in the desert, and got killed. And he had five daughters, no sons. And his five daughters said, wait, we understand that it's supposed to go father to the son who becomes the father, then gives it to the son. Okay, it's going to go that way. But our father had no sons, and therefore we want a piece of the action. And they were given their father's inheritance. What that indicates is we are not in the place where we're supposed to be. We, as, it may be good. We may be comfortable. But that's in a physical sense. Spiritually, we are in great darkness. And what we should be doing is yearning, like the daughters of Slavchad, to go back to the land of Israel, to come and to, to have Mashiach to, as to, it says, we say that even though he's tarried all this long, but you can say, someone asked me, it was like, it's so long as it, listen, we are 3,000 years closer to Mashiach than Moses was. So we've got one up on him. We got a lot on up on him. And hopefully before the end of the next commercial, Mashiach will have come and I'll have to tell you the story in Jerusalem. Don't go away. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Specks Howard. The Spex-Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Hey, Schultzman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? You're, if you're listening on RabbiFinman.com, you're, you're at the place. If you're listening on Odyssey or iHeartRadio or or iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you park your podcasts, well, go to com and write on the homepage is a contact page, and you'll be able to contact us, and we'll contact you on whatever it happens to be. There's archived editions of the show on therabbifinneman.com. There's different ways in which we convey Judaism in an entertaining and educational way. There's also the very, 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 very important donations page. Thank God we paid off May. We only owe for June and July. It's all because you people have been able to help, and you people know who you are, and if you didn't, if you're not one of those people... Then you should be one of those people because you're listening. We're already 48 and a half minutes into the show and you're listening till this far. You should be paying. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but everything costs and somebody has to pay for it and we need your help. It doesn't have to be massive amounts of money. It could be $5 a month and make it a monthly donation. That's also good. $60 a month. If I had 10,000 people giving $60 a year, rather, I could uh, retire and not have to worry about commercials or any of that stuff. But, yeah, so uh, it's a dream. So do that. Do that today. And uh, if you don't like Internet giving or if you'd rather contact me via the post, so send yourself, send me whatever it is you're sending me to the Jewish Hour, 1725 Pinecrest Drive. Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. This past week was the anniversary of the passing of the Or HaChaim Attar, who was a great leader of the Moroccan Jewish community in the uh, early 1700s, early to mid-1700s. This was a person whose feet just weren't long enough to hit the ground. He lived in another plane of existence, as exemplified in the following story. The capital of Morocco is Casablanca, and it probably has always been, and probably always will be. But there are larger cities scattered throughout the country. It's you know it it's, it's it is a pretty developed country, and there it's become now it's become part of the uh, the Jewish Jewish tour scene. They have Jewish Morocco, and the history of Moroccan Jewry goes back pretty much two thousand years. They had a sultan. And the sultan of Morocco, I guess now they call him the king. They don't call him sultan anymore. They call him a king. He, Morocco has a, a king. He decided he's going to go on holiday and uh, went to the provinces to the city of Menkes, which is still there. It's a big city. There was, had been a huge community there. I don't think there's too much left in the city of Menkes, maybe a, a couple of minyanim. And he left his vizier, his number two man in charge. Because this is a trustworthy peer person. Now, this vizier, this number two man, the viceroy, was a rabid, vicious, virile, vehement, disgusting, all the other adjectives, anti-Semite, hated Jews. And he saw this as an opportunity that while the king is out in the environments, he's going to go foment the masses and stir up trouble and make all kinds of rumors and and, uh, and arouse the rabble and uh, incite the rabble to attack the Jewish community. Oh, it would be glorious. Chastor When word of this got to the Orachayim, who lived in the city of Manchus, where this king happened to be summering, and he said, I must see the king. And he went and he knocked on the palace door, the king's summer palace, and they said, Jew, what do you want? And he said, I would like to see the king. He said, go away. He says, I want to give the king a birthday present, and I want to be the one to give it to him. So the king's cured. They went and told the king, this is his old rabbi. He's the leader of the community. He wants to give you a birthday present. So the king said, okay, let the Jew in the king who was friendly to the jewish community had such an attitude yeah let the jew in so when it, in his presence so it said that uh, the orachaim bowed before the king because a king who has life and the, the power of life and death were supposed to bow in front of him and there's even a blessing who has bestowed power upon mankind it was, i've never said it probably never will and he said i want to present you a birthday present your honor He opened up the box and there's a mirror and he said, this little mirror, what are you going to He says, look into the mirror. And he looked into the mirror. The king is looking into the mirror. And what did he see? He saw his viceroy, his number two man, sitting on the king's throne like he's the king issuing barking orders. He said, this is this is sedition, this is treason, and he packed up his stuff, he went back to Casablanca, barged in on this viceroy, sitting on the throne. The king drew his sword and killed the viceroy, end of threat to the Jewish community, and we owe it all to Reb Chaim the Or HaChayim HaKadosh. That's going to do it for the day for this week. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. I certainly had a good time. We hope we had a chance to educate you. I feel smarter. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care.
2: (laughs)